This is the Otaku Nate Show, episode 15, Yamada's First Time, The Quest for Cherries. fans, Otaku Nate here with another installment of the Otaku Nate Show, the anime podcast where we talk about anime that we want to talk about. Joining me this week is my co-host and longtime internet friend, Daniel Stop. It's good to be back. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to my artist who did some awesome artwork for my show that Picture you see of me sitting in what looks like a giant robot. That was done by my buddy Tito over at Infinity Arc. Go check him in his studio out. They do these awesome 90s style anime artworks drawn in the spirit of Masami Obari. So you don't have big boobs in this one? <laughs> I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> just kidding, man. <laughs> 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 I could just like, oh man, that name brings back memories. Hey, good to have you back, Dan. We've uh, known each other for a long time through Facebook. We were also all alumni of the now defunct AnaQuest podcast, but now that I've gotten into the podcast game, I knew that I had to have him on because Dan is always an entertaining person to talk to. Thank you, it's good to be on. And I hope y'all had a happy Thanksgiving because we've got the perfect cure for your Thanksgiving hangover. Sex! <laughs> because today, we are going to be talking about Begata HK, Yamada's First Time. It was released in 2010 by HAL Filmmaker. This was their last production before being absorbed into the Yumeta Company, and it ran for 12 episodes. It was adapted from a manga by Yoko Sanri, more on the manga later, and it was directed by Yusuke Yamamoto, who is most famous for directing Welcome to the NHK and the first 103 episodes of Sgt. Frog. He has also directed Aquarian Evo, Encouragement of Climb, and most recently he did If My Favorite Pop Idol Made It to the Budokan, I Would Die. The writer for the show was Satoru Nishizono. On the high end of his resume, he wrote seasons 1 and 2 of Digimon, and Psychic Squad, a.k.a. Zetai Kakuen Children. On the other hand, he also wrote Needless and Don't Leave Me Alone, Daisy. But on the plus side, he also wrote Mazenkaiser. So all is forgiven. So with all the technical stuff out of the way, Daniel, what is Yamada's first time about? <laughs> well, it's about a girl who wants to have a quest... I have sex with a hundred guys. The problem is she's not really good at, you know, getting, you know, people and she's really unclueless about sex in general. So her quest basically starts out with a guy who's really average and she's trying to find this average person who's like not as hot as her, not as ugly as her, just plain old average Joe. So she meets with a guy, I forget the guy's name, I think it was uh 
was it? I can't remember it was what it was, but he basically hangs up with him for all the sort of series, just trying to get have sex with this guy, and she comes off way too headstrong throughout the whole series, and it's all these misfortunes of trying to have sex for the first time, and it's pretty much hilarious ensues from there on out. We'll talk more about this premise and about how it really shouldn't have worked, but somehow, somehow, it actually manages to be quite enjoyable. It's one of those shows that I remember first coming out in, I think, 20, you said 2010. I first wrote it off completely originally just because I thought that the premise was just really stupid. And believe me, the premise is really stupid, but... I went back and watched and I've heard from people who actually watched the TV show and basically said the show gets really much better as progressively because the one thing about the show that I really liked was how self-aware all the side characters are that her quest for having sex with a hundred guys is really asinine and her friends and all that are just like saying you're really this clueless I can't believe you're really thinking this and it's kind of more of a cynical kind of funny way. And the premise of it is basically hilarious. It's not mean-spirited, it's just really kind of fun, making fun of her naiveness. So what were your first impressions of the show? Well, like I said, the first episode, I didn't like it originally, but then I, when I rewatched the show with the mindset of going into how much of a comedy it is, more of a comedy, more like how self-aware, I really appreciate the show. It was getting really funny. I remember the second episode where they're at the pool, at the one of the pool places, and it was just a really funny premise where they meet the friend and the friend's boyfriend, and it's really just overall, like, I mean, the whole show gets really just even goofier as the show progresses. I know there was, like, one episode where they meet a girl who's, like, this very high-rich girl who's trying to seduce her boyfriend, and it's just reality just goes out there. Again, the whole show, I mean, going with the mindset how it makes fun of the ridiculousness of it, actually it was kind of a, a relief, honestly, because... At that time, there's a lot of shows that were going out. They're just, I mean, I've seen a lot of sex comedy animes, and it's a lot of times they're just, you know, mediocre, or they're just not that funny. They try to be too edgy to be the sake of being too edgy. This one has a more reverse on that subject, and I really do appreciate it for at least trying something new and making fun and just being having fun with it. Indeed. Well, my first impression of Yamada's first time was that I saw information about it on Anime News Network, but I didn't even know what the premise was. I just saw the name Bigata HK, and I'm like, eh, that's kind of a strange name for an anime, but I never really paid any attention to it. It wasn't until I actually met you that you said, hey, Bigata HK, it's actually a pretty good show, and you should go and watch it. And so, I found the Blu-ray at an FYE that is probably closed. Most of them are nowadays, which is sad. <laughs> like, are they still around? Are those things still, still around? Jeez. They're just hanging on. They're small now. I think they're got, like, I've seen the wonders that are at mall, but they're super condensed. Yep. Pretty much. And so oh, I bought the Blu-ray, or should say the Blu-ray combo. I got one of those awesome save editions, and I watched it, and pretty much what you said, Dan. I was pleasantly surprised by it, and I really enjoyed just how it came out. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a surprise series. It doesn't, like, again, it's one of those shows you didn't think from the base on the premise would be a funny show, but I was laughing every single episode. I actually did have a good time. It's, comedies can be a real hit or miss sometimes, especially sex comedies with the anime, but this one actually turned out to be really one of the better ones. And I can't believe that, you know, now you mentioned it, I can't believe it's been 10 years that that show got released. 
There's so much anime that comes out, you honestly forget just how old something is that came out five years ago. I remember watching this, actually, I showed this to our anime club, and we watched the first episode, and boy, that episode where, at the end, sort of spoiler for people who haven't seen it, but the ending episode of episode one, where they're in the library. <laughs> I remember a couple of girls getting really offended and walking out, but everyone was dying laughing based off that. It was pretty good. Like I said, it was a really fun little show. It's one of those shows like I've rewatched over the years several times, and it's still pretty good. Still holds up well. I can definitely agree that it holds up to a rewatch. But before we dive into just what makes the show tick, we got to talk about the superficial stuff, and we start with the animation. And honestly, is there really much to say about animation in a comedy anime? Not really, especially this show. It's kind of like, you know, typical. It works well. It's perfectly fine. There's, I never really had an issue with the animation. I think it still looks pretty good after all these years. I kind of agree with you, but when I looked at it, but when I looked at it with 2020 eyes, the way the show looks, it gives off this early 2000s digital anime vibe with mostly the colors and the shading. It looks like something that could have come out 2017 years ago. True. Yeah, I could see that. It's It's been that long, I can't believe it. But yeah, it, for its time, I guess it was pretty good. But you're right, it does enter all these years. Now with how animation now is, it's like, the animation from its time was pretty good. Like I said, it's because we, we look at it that, but now compared with all the stuff we get now, it's very, everything's so graphic, detailed, and all that. It's Yeah, I can see why it would be from like, doesn't look as good compared to those. It's a lot smoother than most early 2000s anime productions, I'll give it that. It isn't necessarily just the overall look, but more just the general aesthetic. It's just this weird mix of bright and bold colors that give it that early 2000s vibe. But that's not a knock against it. I actually don't think the show looks too bad. Dare I say it looks a lot better than a lot of those early 2000s anime. Oh, by a long shot. It's There's no denying that, because early digital DG anime, I would say up to about 2005 or 2006, just looks kind of not by today's standards. It looks pretty lame. Thankfully, though, I can say that Yamada's first time definitely looks pretty good, but I wouldn't call it a feast for the eyes. It's decent. Mm -hmm. It does its job. You're not going to get any real Sakuga moments. It's a comedy, and... Sakuga is mostly reserved for the big flashy action sequences, of which there are none in this show. One thing, though, I do have to praise it for, you mentioned this earlier, Dan. Considering that this is a fanservice anime, there's plenty of fanservice to go around, yet it never really feels like it goes overboard at any point. It's just enough. Yeah, that is true. And that was kind of my first reaction. I thought it was going to be one of those shows where it's just going to be like almost, I'm going to sort of totally two different shows like Queen's Blade where they're showing breasts <laughs> and all that stuff like constantly. But no, it doesn't go to that weird, disgusting, like you feel kind of gross after watching it kind of show because like a lot of edgy comedies can get kind of make you feel kind of gross. But this one doesn't do that. It doesn't go beyond that. But uh, I know it's kind of like apples and oranges of those. But uh, no, I never really thought it did. And I thought it was actually a pretty good, you know, amount where it doesn't like doesn't feel kind of disgusting not like uh what was a high school dxd or even lesser extent girls bravo <laughs> uh. now that's an episode you can do for i could talk about the whole time oh <laughs> i got stories on that one. Oh, brother 
They don't really go whole hog until the final few episodes, but by that point it feels like the show has earned its moment to do that. I mean, that's something I could talk about too. That I mean, I will talk about it later, but that's, that's, that last episode is going to get me hilarious. Hey, I don't want to spoil it, man. I won't spoil it. I won't spoil it. That's why I'm keeping it tense, especially for people to go watch it. Yeah, outside of like a few panty shots and some bits involving swimsuits, not too much fan service. It's very tame compared to some other edgy comedies that are out there. I do like some of the sexual imagery they used. My absolute favorite, and I don't know why this one sticks out, but there's a cutaway where Yamada and Kosuda are sitting in like a lounge and in front of Kosuda is a glass of whiskey with a big ice cube in it. And to show that he's sexually stimulated, to put it mildly, they have the ice cube turn upward a little bit. And I don't know what works about that, but it's just so unique. Like, it's a very nuanced use of sexual symbolism, to say the least. It's unexpected, especially that scene. It just kind of comes out of no- almost out of nowhere, but it kind of like it's kind of a twist on it. The character designs are fairly simple for this show. My absolute favorite, though, of all of them, is actually Miharu, and it's mostly because I like girls who have that haircut. Miharu was the old friend, right, of Yosuda? Uh, no, Miharu was Yamada's oh, best friend. Okay. It's been a while since I've been, I'm trying to remember which character it was, but yeah, yeah, that guy definitely. My other favorite design is Kanajo's design, and it's mostly, again, for the hair. But really, that's all we need to say about the animation for Yamada's first time. It's fine. Not really much you can say about something like this for comedy. So, I know that it's been a while since you last saw Bigata HK, but do you remember anything about the soundtrack? I like the opening and ending theme songs. They were really cute. The ending was pretty cute. That was actually one of my favorite. It was the ending theme song. Other than that, the like you said, the musical score throughout the show was, you know, it didn't stick out, but it was it was okay. But I said the opening. I do remember the opening theme. The opening song was catchy, is fun. But the ending, I actually like the ending much more. To me, I actually paid attention to the soundtrack this time around, and the soundtrack's actually pretty good for a show like this. Like the one track that they use routinely, they use this track that sounds like a big band jazz piece. And it really fits the mood of whatever scene it accompanies. There's a lot of really good music on Yamada's first time, and usually comedy soundtracks are kind of the last thing you pay attention to, but I'd say the soundtrack for Yamada's first time is worth a listen if you can find it, because I couldn't find the original soundtrack anytime online. But if you're going to watch the show, pay attention to the music, because there's a lot of really good tracks on there. Yeah, it's been a while, but again, it's it was pretty good. I mean, it just wasn't like... Nothing stuck out with me for that. It really was just, it was fine. I would think, like I said, I might have to really listen to it again because it's been a while, but I definitely would check it out again for that soundtrack. I had to, I don't really, I need to more pay attention to it. The soundtrack for this was composed by the music production group Elements Garden, with the composer being one of its founding members, Junpei Fujita. He would go on to do the score for things like Bodacious Space Pirates, Utano Prince-sama, Roka, Brave of the Six Flowers, and perhaps most significantly is that he was the composer for pretty much all of Symphogear. So going from the soundtrack to the seiyu, Yamada is voiced by Yukari Tamura, and oh boy, she is known for being the voice of a lot of things. She is 
Tenten in Naruto, Rika in Higurashi, Elizabeth Midford in Kuroshitsuji, Suzuha in Steins Gate, Priscilla in ReZero, and for all you Magical Girl fans out there, she's the voice of Nanoha from the Nanoha series. Yamada's friend, Takashi Kosuda, is voiced by Atsushi Abe. He is Toma in the Certain Magical Index series, and Toichiro Izumida from Yoamushi Pedal. Miharu is voiced by Yui Horie, most famous in video games as Chie in Persona 4 and Hitomi in the Dead or Alive series. In anime, she is perhaps best known as Sharl in Fairy Tale and Hanyu in Higurashi. Oh, hey, Dan, he was your favorite. She was Naru in Love Hina. Oh, gosh. And perhaps one of her most famous roles for all of you who are newer fans, she is Subasa in the Monogatari series, and also Wiz in Konosuba. Kosuda's childhood friend, Mayu Miyano, is voiced by the almighty Kana Hanazawa, famous for being Mayuri in Steins Gate, Akane in Psycho Pass, Shiro in Dead Man Wonderland, Lucy M in Bungo Stray Dogs, among many, many other roles that if we were to list them, we would be here all day. The spoiled rich girl, Kyoka Kanajo, is voiced by Yu Kobayashi, who was Ayame in Gintama, Sasha Brouse in Attack on Titan, and Kaede in Sayonara Zetsubo-sensei. I am in despair. And Mahiru in the third Danganronpa game. And Chika, Yamada's little sister, is voiced by Asami Shimoda, who is Ami Futami in the Idol Master series and Kotomi Suda in Yakuindo, a show that I know nothing about, but it shows up a lot on her ANN page, so I'm including her in that. On the English dub side, Yamada is voiced by Brittany Karbowski, who I had the pleasure of meeting and had her sign my Blu-ray, and when she signed it, she actually sang that little Begata HK jingle. She's a sweetheart. That's actually one of her best roles to date. I think that's one of my favorite roles of hers, is being Yamada. Oh, she absolutely nails it as Yamada. Like, she gets the idea of being a klutzy teen who just wants to get laid and captures the sort of teen angst. Like, Brittany Karbowski is one of those actresses who works best when she's playing the plucky teenager, and Yamada is a perfect fit for her voice. Easily one of her best performances, without question. Kosuda, meanwhile, is voiced by... Oh, dear... In jail. <laughs> Scott Freeman. You know, I honestly had high hopes for Scott Freeman before he got arrested on behalf of Kitty Porn because I really liked him in this and I thought he was excellent as Issei in High School DXD, but... Oh boy, going back and watching some of the stuff he was in now, though. As Jamie Markey said in an 18 and up panel I went to... All I'm going to say is, now you know why Scott Freeman's in jail. Wasn't he a registered sex offender for what he did? Yes, he was. He is a registered sex offender. He is out of jail now, I think. But he is not getting work anytime soon. He got cancelled for the right reasons. What's a pederass? Shut the fuck up, Nate. (laughs) Speaking of girls who are voicing plucky teenagers, we also have Shirami Lee as Miharu. Honestly, Shirami Lee, whenever she is given a leading role, she can do absolutely no wrong. I think she was great as Miharu. Using her famous fiery teenage girl voice, 
to be the perfect counterweight to Britney's more flitty sort of teenage girl. Man, I forget all about these voice actors. I know, gosh, the other one I can think of is uh, Alexis Tipton was in the show, right? Yeah, she plays Yamada's Eros deity. We'll get to that little yeah. aspect of the show in a little bit. Mayu, uh, Kosuda's childhood friend, is voiced by the absolutely adorable Jade Saxton, who is another voice actress that I absolutely love. And Kyoka is voiced by Kirsty Kang. There's a few other Funimation luminaries in this dub, like Greg Ayers, Lara Woodhall, Ian Sinclair, and Josh Grayley. What did you think of the dub overall? Overall, I actually really like the English dub of it. I mean, I watched it first in Japanese, and I thought it was a pretty good Japanese dub, but giving the English dub a chance, I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. I did too. It was actually every, all the voice actors did a really good job. The script for the dub was written by Jamie Markey, who kind of has a mixed reputation among fans. I, I don't hate her like so many others do. I think she gets a really bum rap for her scripts. And I will say that a lot of the stuff that she writes is funny, but I think Jamie Markey works best when she can walk the tightrope between staying faithful to the original while also injecting her own sense of humor. I feel that there are a few points where the dub kind of goes a little overboard when it comes to taking liberties with the script, but not too much where I can say that it kind of ruins the dub. Because for comedies, you kind of need to punch up given that Japanese comedy and American comedy are a lot different from one another. But I think for the most part, Jamie Markey did a good job with the script. Yeah, it was a fine script. You know, I, I can see why people don't like her scripts or they feel like she tries to put too much of her own humor in it. But I think it did well for the most part. It didn't try to put too many, you know, American English references that, you know, be totally dated in 10 years. I did catch a few, but they're escaping my mind for the moment. I'll say this, though. This is one of those Funimation Blu-rays where you can actually turn the subtitles on with the Japanese track. Since nowadays, you know, the subtitles come on automatically when you turn on the Japanese side, which I'm not a fan of. I want to see the subtitles when watching the English dub just so that I can compare and contrast the two things. But watching the show with subtitles on makes it a completely different experience. There was a joke we used to say in our old anime club is when we watched the show, our old saying was, we can't hear the subtitles. <laughs> One little thing to note about the DVD release is that it actually comes with outtakes. I didn't know that. I forgot about that. Yeah, I watched them last night. They're not that great. They're only like, what, how long are they? Like a minute or two? Yeah, like less than 60 seconds for them. And it's mostly just the actors or actresses flubbing their lines. They don't really show them having fun with a certain scene or improving off the dialogue like the Lupin outtakes or the Berserk outtakes. Oh, those are classic. You can't compete to those. I actually, the great teacher on Azuka English outtakes are hilarious too. Yeah, there's no Shirami Lee breaking out into song at any moment on these outtakes. Gosh, I miss those Berserk outtakes. We need to have, more companies need to do those more often, I wish. From what I have been told, they would do it but they don't out of fear that it would be disrespectful to the Japanese. But we've got all the technicalities out of the way, so... But we've got all the technicalities out of the way. 
So now it's time to get between the sheets and figure out the joys of Yamada's first time. From the premise, if you were to just read the premise and see that this is a show about a high school girl who is on a quest to have sex with 100 guys, you would think that this would be awful and that the show could go south like so many others had. Like, it could go the way of something like, I don't know, Iken or Valkyrie Drive. But when you actually sit down and watch Yamada's first time, you'll find that the show is actually pretty damn good. And I think a lot of it hinges on the strength of Yamada herself. Yeah, that's pretty much what the show is. I mean, it's really, she's the one who steals the show. But I think her side characters are the best part of the show as well. Like, they were more grounded, and they're more, like, more realistic compared to her ideas and fantasies, which even makes it even funnier. Well, for now, I want to talk about Yamada. And part of what makes her so appealing is that she's serious about her objective. Like, she really, really wants to try and bed 100 guys. The problem is that she's so obsessed with wanting to get to third base that she doesn't know how to crawl before she walks. That is true. And she basically, like, that's what the whole premise of that joke about the whole series. She does not know how to get there. Like, she wants it, and she probably could, but for all the wrong reasons. And... It's just funny how she's just her overanalyzing this whole thing. And it's funny that they'll show, I think her sister is even more understanding than her, her younger sister. Because everybody else in the show is aware that you can't just simply tell a guy, hey, I want to have sex. And then, oh, hey, you know, you're in bed doing it with him. I guess that's why I liked about the show. Like, all her friends around her were all, like, telling her how unrealistic and kind of pathetic her plans were. Because, like, she came up with these schemes or these ideas of how to seduce... Was it Yosada? What was her name? The guy? Yosaka? Kosada. 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 I'm sorry. Kosada. And it's, like, even her friend was, like, telling um, that's not how you should do this, and it's wrong. Or, like, her friends were saying, that's ridiculous and out there. Or she had these ideas... And fantasies, and it just turned out to be, like, so pathetic that even she kind of at the end, like, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> I think that one of my favorite episodes was the one where they're in the park. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> make-out point, make-out point. Make-out point. But the ending, it's not really, not just make-out point, but... Oh, yeah, don't spoil it, don't spoil it. I won't spoil I won't spoil the joke of that, but that gets a great single-handed laugh in that show, is that ending. I just love how anticlimactic a lot of the more sexually tense moments are within this show. Yeah, that's the part of the peel of it, which I think is great. And it's just, it's innocently, but it's so adorable, funny. And I think it's that sense of innocence that what makes Yamada's first time so great, because it doesn't portray sex as this thing that you want. It isn't Prime Minister Abe propaganda about how we need to reproduce and to have children. Sex is just something, it's a, it's a phase that we go through in life. Mm-hmm, correct. You know, everybody in high school, there's plenty of guys out there that are trying to get laid, and, you know, this shows that the girls do it too. Yeah, it doesn't come out mean-spirited or cruel. It's kind of like, you know, it's not just like almost date rapey kind of shows <laughs> where 
a lot of those like teen sex comedies always become out to be they haven't aged well this one is actually kind of a, of a fresh breather you know to actually see i love how in this case it's yamada who is the pervert and the innocent one in this relationship is kosada and he's like confusing he wants he's like oh my gosh this hot girl wants me but like also creeped out by how persistent and you know overconfident this person is trying to be and just comes off way too headstrong for him I think that if Yamada doesn't know how to crawl before she walks, I think Kosa is a case where he knows how to walk, but doesn't have a destination. And I think he's, you know, being young, he's a teenager, you know, he wants it, but doesn't know it's too scary at times, at the same time, very innocent. Yamada has these feelings of wanting to have sex, but Kosa is so innocent with how he presents himself, and I really like how the show plays on his average nature. He's just an average guy yeah. trying to get by in his high school life. I mean, he had several opportunities throughout the show. Like, I mean, one of the best examples is his sister, like, oh. alone time with his sister. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His sister who likes to naked. walk naked around the house. It really seems like the relationship between him and his sister could go south. But once again, with the way that things are written, it's very wholesome. Like, they have a typical younger brother, older sister sort of relationship. Kosita being naive and innocent, just wanting to use his time to take pictures of landscapes. Yeah, because he's like, she, like, when he's taking pictures and she, Yamada wants to take have pictures, oh, you're taking pictures, oh, like, me pose, and like, no, that's not what I do. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good innocence to the character, and, and he's just like, he knows deep down that he wants to do this, and he just, he's scared at the same time being a typical teenager. I think it was kind of, again, a breath of fresh air, like, compared to, like, a lot of characters who were just, like, horn dogs or just, like, come off almost creepy, rapey kind of characters. And it's kind of nice to see a breath of fresh air to see kind of, like, a normal high school teenager. I will never not cite Takaru from Makinki as the worst example of this. I have not seen a show, so I can't make, I can't confirm. Don't. Okay, I will keep your advice. Kosita gets into plenty of perverted situations, but he himself is not a pervert. And when those scenes happen, it's more of a, what is this feeling that I have sort of moments. It's not like, ooh, yes, I'm touching a girl's boob and stuff. If this was a badly written show, he would accidentally touch Yamada's breast and Yamada would just slap him like your typical sundere. But instead, mm -hmm. both characters are just such polar opposites in terms of personality both of them just have this crazy awkward feeling not knowing how to react to the sensation that they're feeling. Correct. And I, I think that's why the show works in that way because it does show two opposites and then just they're, they're feeling one perspective and then the other. I like the one is like, what is she really thinking? And like her face is like, I want to have sex. It's just like, oh my gosh, that, like that is that's so hand to sound. Like it's fun to hear that, and it just it, it's just again, it's what makes the show actually work in a way because it doesn't come off not mean spirited, not perverse, where it just feels kind of gross watching it, and not less date rapey than other shows. And it, it's an overall experience. I mean, that's what makes the show works. I think that's why I give my recommendation for that show to give it a chance because again, you can't judge a book by its cover, and that's the one thing I learned about that show. No judge book by its cover to make your mind up to... So oh, sorry. <clears throat> <laughs> There's plenty of other supporting characters we could go through, like my favorite, Miharu. We talked about this earlier, but she is the perfect counterweight to Yamada. 
because Yamada has this up and at him, let's go get him and have sex attitude with her. But Miharu is a lot more realistic in her approach to a relationship. Like, she's dating a, a much older guy with Daisuke who is a high school senior. And, of course, Yamada thinks that is being completely awkward, even though there's only, like, what, a three-year age gap between the two of them? It's funny because, like, like the, what, I was in one episode, I think it was, like, episode three, and she's like, oh, yeah, they had a good time. He, like, really thinks, like, oh, yeah, he's the, the boyfriend's like, oh, yeah, I had a great time, everybody. And, like, deep down, he's, like, thinking, oh, my God, Yamada's so hot. <laughs> it's just kind of like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's, I love that when I do those, like, what they really think, and then this is what they really, how they act, and this is how they really think deep down. <laughs> Again, it's the little perks of that show that makes it work. I do like the little bit of breast envy that goes on between Yamada and Miharu. Like, even though Yamada yeah. is sort of like the perfect girl, she'll always hate Miharu because she's an F cup. I like that like, one episode, like, I think it's like, one episode's like, oh, she's getting stuff. It's like, I had to get ointment for my breast because it hurts. Because <laughs> it's like, she complains about how her breasts are it's too big or they're just, they don't, they kind of hurt. More etchy anime needs to do that. More realistically, yeah, to do that, I think that's what kind of break it down. I admit I haven't seen too many etchy romantic comedy anime, but besides this one, the only one I can think of that pokes fun at just how awkward it is for anime girls having those size breasts is Puni Puni Poemi. And that's even gross. That show gets gross. Talk about, I mean, I get the parody of it, but it's so excessive to the like, ugh. Well, that's knobbishing for you. And of course, the last character that I want to talk about is the spoiled rich girl, and that's Kyoka. And I want to say that I love her, and I love her design. Yeah, she's my favorite character. My son agrees too. <laughs> now, I love the the episode where she tries to seduce uh, Kosada, and that's the hilarity issues. I won't spoil that, but that one gets a single handed bad laugh. I love her, but I would not want to live in that house that she has. Like, she lives in just the most ridiculous-looking mansion you have ever seen, like, ever. It's like everything you'd see in your typical mansion just stacked on top of each other. I won't spoil it, but I will say, I don't know how her maids or butlers put up with her, but the funny thing is I want to know more about them because there's a scene at the, the episode where Kosada visits her and hilarity issues. But then there's a scene at the very end and it kind of leaves up for, you know, interpretation where it's like, do you know a lot about sex? And then she like the maid who's like this very older, mature lady doesn't look, you know, average. She turns into like these big old sharp eyes, like grin. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and they never add on to that, but I think it makes the show even more funnier because it's like, oh man, that would have been hilarious to hear that conversation. <laughs> Do you remember what I'm talking about? The show definitely understands the concept of show don't tell. I think that's why that show worked because it, it does mean you don't have to show it to you know, make it even funnier, just kind of leave that open for interpretation, but it, it gives you hints but it makes it even funnier when you don't show it. What is also funny or rather creepy about Kyoka is that I love that she has a complex. Yes, she does. <laughs> and I used to have for a while, I had a screenshot of Kyoka and Kosada in that scene where the maid walks in. 
and <laughs> there's a screenshot for a while. I gotta find it, but it's one of the funniest moments in that show. Was that that pause? <laughs> it's just wonderful how the show handles this sort of content. For what we're implying, Kyoka has a crush on her brother. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. She has a brother complex. Yeah, that's what I said. Like she has a complex. And she has a whole room devoted to him, like Helga and Hey Arnold. Gosh. But at least hers was in the closet, not in the public. <laughs> Locked behind a bunch of MST3K-style doors. I know. I also love how she hates Yamada because Yamada's the popular one, but I have all the money. There was that Christmas episode, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, she had a Christmas party at her house. Yeah. That's one of the best scenes in the whole show takes place. I mean, I don't spoil You tell me afterwards, but I forget what scene that was. I I think I know what it is, but it's been a while. I love talking about about Yamada's classmates. The one that's, like, really small, like, wants to get, like, she's, like, looks like a little, like, an elementary school kid. Oh, mommy. Yeah, mommy. You think that Yamada is energetic? Mommy will just do anything to get noticed by anyone, and nobody ever notices her. Well, I think that's the one where she hooks up, tries to hook up with the brother of the guy, of the rich girl. (laughs) In hilarity and shoes. The characters in this are all great people. They're all likable. It's not a case like in Hinamatsuri, where all the characters are entertaining, but except for, like... Anzu, none of them are really good people. But in the case of Yamada, with the exception of Kyoka, everybody comes off as well-meaning and sincere. Yamada's goal to sleep with 100 guys may not be noble, but she's honest about it. And I think that's the last thing as to why I can say Yamada's first time manages to avoid derailing itself, is that there's a high sense of sincerity with this show. It doesn't lie to you. It doesn't tease you or anything. It's very much to the point of what it's about. But it also tells you you're not coming here for the sex. You're coming here for the character interactions. And just the way the characters interact is absolutely brilliant. What else do you want to talk about? I think we've pretty much hit on everything we can talk about with this show. Without Uh, spoiling it. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything else. I really, there's not much you can say. Other than things like, go watch the show at this point. It used to be on Netflix, but they took it off. But I found out some interesting good news is, as of yesterday, um, Right Stuff is doing their Black Friday Christmas sales. And Yamada's first time is on, is, is on their everything sale for 10 bucks for the essential the Blu-ray release. 10 bucks for the whole series. And how can you say no to that? Unless you got 100 cherries. Indeed. Must give. Cherry... <laughs> And then Yamada learned a valuable lesson about boys. (laughs) Spoiler alert, the real cherries were the friends we made along the way. That'd be very deep for that two show. (laughs) I never read the manga. I heard the manga was more more racier. Yeah, and I wanted to touch on that because Yamada's first time kind of made the news for all the wrong reasons. And no, it wasn't here. Uh, The likes of John McCain and Hillary Clinton wouldn't want this thing banned. It was because the studio behind this show, HAL Filmmaker, received death threats over the adaptation. 
Yes, I remember that. She, didn't the voice actress get a, a threatened? I think it was mostly the staff. I didn't know if it was the voice actor. Unfortunately, though, the link to the Begata HK website does not exist anymore. And if you click the link in the Anime News Network uh, article page, you get sent to a home improvement company in Maryland. Uh? Yeah. I have no idea wow. how that happened, but it happened. Goodness gracious. That said, I did take a brief glimpse at the Yamada's first time manga. It's a four coma manga, as in four panel comics, much like in the spirit of Lucky Star or Azumanga Dio. Azumanga Dio, yeah. But for adapting a four coma comic strip into an anime series, I think they did a good job. Uh, something we forgot to mention about the format of the show, though, is that much like School Rumble, the episode is split up into two separate segments. Because the first half of the episode is one story, the second half is another story. But I'm not sending death threats to anybody involved in Yamada's first time Bigata HK, because Bigata HK, if you can get past the rather raunchy premise, is a fun time that is to be had by all. And it's definitely one that is worth a good laugh. You can find it streaming online on Funimation and probably somewhere else. I There's so many streaming sites, I can't keep track of what is streaming where. And hey, it's 10 bucks on Right Stuff right now, so hey, go and get it while you can. Daniel, do you have any final thoughts on Yamada's first time? You know, it's like I keep saying, you know, don't touch a book by its cover. It's a really fun little show. And again, for edgy comedy, it's probably one of the best ones in many years. I mean, because again, usually it can be hit or miss, but I thought the show was one of those shows that I could rewatch over and over again. Compared to a lot of anime out there, it's like, it's kind of a fun knowing a show that you can rewatch and have a fun laugh still, even after all these years. It's still pretty funny. It's a really fun show. Definitely tons of fun. And so, that wraps up another installment of the Otaku Nate Show. Please be sure to leave a like, follow, comment, subscribe, wherever. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and on Podbean. Next time on the Otaku Nate Show, we shift gears from an innocent, sexy comedy to a more dark, dour, and overall bleak series. It is a show that was quite popular when I was first getting into anime, and a show that earned quite a bit of critical acclaim, but I want to know, does this thing hold up? Well, we'll find out next time as we dive, as we go on a search for paradise in Wolf's Reign. So until then, this is Otaku Nate. And this is Daniel Staub. Thank you for having me on the show. And we're signing off and saying... Yeah.